With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, this is my leak. This is the My Taught You podcast and I am back with an interview today. I know I have left you guys hanging with those, but I know you are going to love this podcast. Today we have best-selling novelist and beauty writer Tia Williams. Hi. Tia. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome and thank you for joining. So, um before we get into what you've done and what you do, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you know this, but you were the one person responsible for my quote unquote PR piece that ran on Curlbox years ago. Do you remember that? You like broke the story. Well, I was obsessed with it. I mean, it was <laughs> really? just, uh, yes, girl. It was such a revolutionary <laughs> idea. I was all over it. Yeah. So I reached out to you and I'm like, Tia, I have this um, incredible idea. This is my press release for it. Um, I'm giving you the news. And mm-hmm. that night, I think you ran it and we had a thousand people sign up on our website at midnight. Like, Are you serious? In, I'm serious. We had a thousand people type in their email addresses at midnight for this business. So um, I, I always knew that. Yes. I'm sorry. I think because once the business started, it was such a whirlwind. Like right. I couldn't, I was like struggling to keep my head above water but yes so you launched it on essence.com and a thousand people signed up that night and when I tell you I used to get sort of like the email notifications to my Blackberry at the time Mm -hmm. and they were coming in nonstop. I had to just eventually turn it off because it was 1,000 the first night 2,000 uh the next night and I mean we've gotten into Yes, we have uh, we have six figures of people still signing up for our email list since that day five years ago that is incredible. I cannot, I mean, I can believe it, but I, that's just huge. Like the first night. God. Yeah. Yeah. So I owe you so much for that. Um, it was small, but it was powerful, powerful. So today I would like to publicly thank you for giving you, for giving me my first bit of press on a faux business because you know, it wasn't even <laughs> real then. <laughs> faux business. It, was, not it was, it was like, it was aspirational. And I said to myself, you know, somebody tweeted me yesterday and they said, you know, if you have a business idea, how do you sort of source it without giving it away? And I mm. pretty pretty much said my strategy was to put it out there. And if people bite, keep going. And if they don't, let it go. Right. That's brilliant. So, yeah. Yeah. So that is what um, I did. All righty. So you are uh, the goddess of oh. beauty, <laughs> specifically brown beauty. You know you are. Well. Um Yes. I mean, you know, I've been I've been around for a minute, for a minute. Yes. And 
Um, I'm going to date us both during this interview, but you moved to New York City to take your first job at YM, right? Yes. Yeah. 1997. Okay. Many listening to this probably have never heard of that magazine. Can you tell us how you got from the University of Virginia to New York? Like, how, I think so many people wonder, how do you, how did you do that? Right. Well, I, okay, I was, I've been a writer my entire life. Um, I've been a fiction writer since I was seven. I used to seven. Yes. I was very socially awkward at school and I would come home every day and I would rewrite the day in my favor. So (laughs) that's amazing. I need to do that. (laughs) Yeah. I would like make myself the heroine of the situations that I can, that were a complete fail at school. So it was like my first, you know, like I was amazing in a conversation that I was embarrassing in. So it was, I've been writing fiction, fiction forever. And, you know, I was on the newspaper staff and all of that. And at UVA, I was too. And um, I always wrote poetry. And But then at the same time, I was always obsessed with beauty. Obsessed. Like fashion magazines galore. I kept them all in my parents' garage. I still have like boxes upon boxes of really? like Vogue's and Bazaar and Seventeen from like the 80s till 93 when I left for college. Um, and so I always was very, very clear. The second I graduate, I'm moving to New York and I'm going to figure out how to be a beauty editor because it marries like my love for beauty and writing. And then I'm also going to be a novelist. I'm going to wait a second to figure out the novelist piece because I need to get some experience. So I knew that I I felt that I had had like sort of a basic suburban experience (laughs) growing up. And like I needed to like learn some things about life in New York before I tried to write anything compelling. Okay. So, um, so yeah, like a- after UVA, I moved to New York and um, NYU. I don't know if they still have it, but back then they had a postgraduate summer intensive course on publishing and half of the summer was book publishing and the other half was magazine publishing. And they had mm-hmm. real people from the industry come and teach the workshops. And so it was also like this massive networking opportunity. And by the end, this is very, this is such a 1997 story, but by the end of the summer, we all had jobs. Right. That's such a 1997 story. <laughs> that is not a 2017 story. At all. Like it just doesn't <laughs> even exist anymore. Like it was fine. No. We literally twirled out of the program, like with <laughs> our jobs, um, our little 19,000, you know, dollars a year right. jobs. But right. um, yeah, so I started working in, in editorial at YM as a beauty assistant. And I just sort of, and back then I was l- literally the only black beauty editor in the industry. There was no, outside of the, you know, women at Ebony in essence. So and and how was that? I mean, I think most of us have watched like Devil Wears Prada. You yeah. know, how was that be- being like the only black woman in that space? Well, it's kind of intense. I I have right. to say that my you know, growing up sort of prepared me for it because I went to very very white schools and I was accustomed to how to navigate being the only. Okay. You know, in the room and my sort of the way I approached it was a you obviously have to know it uh, your boss's job your job everybody's job to get in mm-hmm. like to prove right. that you even belong there you have to be so stellar um so girl I did when I was interviewing for that little position I did all the research and obviously this is before I mean the internet was like you know nothing you couldn't find things you couldn't like find things out, so that's no. what bugs me out when people come so unprepared for interviews I'm like it it's is like not how that. Right. 
you you can find out anything. You can find out what I ate last night for dinner. You know, <laughs> yeah, who served me? <laughs> yeah, you know what my daughter wore last Tuesday. Like right, it, right. So I, you know, I went to Dwayne Reed and I went, you know, the beauty section and I went to the Saks beauty section and I just studied, I asked, you know, the women that work there for, you know, what their favorite beauty products were and why. Like, I killed that editorial test. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, I had no choice. Right. And, um, you know, I really, really, really did the work. But, you know, once you get in those doors and you're, you're like faced with, you know, well, I think the only way a black model will work here is if she's very <laughs> ethnically ambiguous. She cannot really have actually Negroid features. That's a quote oh. I heard. Oh, um, yeah. You know, and having to fight till your hair sweats out to get a brown foundation on a foundation roundup for spring, 90, you know, 1999. Like, it's just kind of a shock, but you have to learn very quickly that you cannot get angry. Okay. That won't get you anywhere. Nope. And you can't, you know, get on a podium and make some sort of woke ass speech and away cares. What you right. do is be quiet and absorb everything you can and very, you know, stealthily go about the business of revolutionizing things. Right. Um, you know, little by little, you do it in a way that they don't even realize you know who they is. They don't even right. realize that you're doing it. So right, right. That's they kind don't of what I did. What just happened to them. Yeah, and like, now, oh, it's how did Iman end up on this page? Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. And now it's it's all the way wage. So after making waves with an impressive career in editorial, um, do you want to just run down the magazines you worked at? Just because I think you you should. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went from YM to L to Glamour to Lucky, and then I was beauty director at Teen People, and right. then I uh, had sort of like this existential crisis. I was dating this really sexy psychopath, and. <laughs> Um, I was just, I mean, who has it? I was just having like some troubles and I was like, I got to get the hell out of New York. Like this is just a little much. And I put all my shit in storage and I quit Mm -hmm. my job, you know, much to the chagrin of everyone I knew. Like, how could you, you're literally the only black chick in beauty. Like, how could you do this? How could Um, you? But, you know. And I went to Seville and taught English randomly for six months. And while I was there... I did what I did in elementary school, in junior high and high school. I took this insane relationship with this like hot sociopath poet and Mm -hmm. I rewrote it and made it magical. And I sort of, and that was the excellent diva. And I came back home and I got a two book deal. And so I was out of editorial for a while and, you know, just writing novels. I, I wrote, um, a YA series called the it chicks. I ghost wrote Iman's beauty book. Um, Oh my goodness. I did a lot. And I started, um, one of the first beauty blogs in 2004 called shake your beauty. So I did that for a while and then I got divorced and I was like, Oh, I need to go get like a regular salary so I can afford me and this baby's lives. Um, so I went to, went back to editorial and went to essence.com as um, beauty director. And, um, now I'm the copy director at Bumble and Bumble, which is a hair care brand owned by Estee Lauder. So I've been, it's just amazing. Yeah. Beauty writing for 20 years. For 20 years. So before I get into um, the perfect find, which I want to talk about, Uh um, I I noticed you said that you started a beauty blog in 2004. And a lot of people write me and ask, is it too late to start a blog? Um, What are your thoughts on that and just like blogging in general today? 
Well, I mean, honestly, it's like, um, it is night and day. I mean, 2004, there was no social media. Like, there was no way to promote yourself if you were right. It was just an organic expression. Mm -hmm. I didn't know shit about anything. Like, digital, I had no idea. All I knew was that I had just left um, magazines, but I still love to be, you know, an author, but I still love beauty so much. I wasn't ready to like let go of that voice and just like talking about mascara and blush. And so my literary agent was like, there's this thing called a blog where you can just literally get on and like post your musings on whatever you want. And I was like, ah! And so she set me up on Blogspot and I just sort of, I didn't even have any images. Like I just (laughs) wrote these little essays and it caught on in this like profoundly organic way. You know, there was, you couldn't go Mm -hmm. on Twitter or Instagram or wherever and be like, Hey, read my latest post. Here's a link. It was just people found you, they found you. And so that was the business then, which was hardly even a business. No one even knew how to monetize it yet. It was just like, you know, something you did because you loved it. Right, now right. it is multi-million dollars. It's I'm an influencer. And if you want me to talk about your brand, like it's thousands. Break me it's, off something. Yeah. Like I can't, I'm not talking for free. Um, right. That was very Drake. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and like it's, it's being uh, – involved every second of the day, like SEO and, um, you know, clickable headlines and posting certain things at certain times of a day and brand partnerships. And it's a for real business. And part of the reason I got out of it is because I am not, that's not my skill set in any, by any stretch of the imagination. I can't keep up with technology. I'm not really good at promoting myself in that way. And I'm just not techie. I'm just a writer. I was just writing this blog. I didn't know how to turn it into um, the thing that some of my friends that who are so amazing at the digital space were able to do. So I politely bowed out because it became something that I no longer knew how to be good at. Oh, that's knowing when to quit, you know, which I yeah. think, you know, seeing people hang on almost like Stevie Wonder and those little like braids in the back. Oh, God. Girl, just let it go. Oh, those two <laughs> strands. It's really, right. it's so disappointing. It is. It is. Okay. So I have to be honest. Um, I have not finished the perfect find because I don't want it to end. You're so funny. I have it sitting here. I am on page 292. <laughs> on one page past chapter 26. And I have held it here since last year. That's hilarious. I it's such a compliment, by the way. I don't even want you to finish it because yeah, I love like, that. I'm sitting here and I'm like, I do not want to know how this book ends, mainly because I don't want it to, but I know I'm going to have to do it soon. Um, but this was so, Tia, I am not a sort of fiction girl. I think if you follow mm-hmm. me, you know, I read a bunch yeah, of know. business self-help and I bought a bunch of your books for all the girls in my office because, you know, that's what we have to do for each other. And so I had it and I was like, oh, you know, I'll get around and read it. And I always feel like I think reading fiction for me is just this guilt of like I'm wasting time, you know, like I can't do that. Yeah, I don't know what it's about. But I had Lovey on the podcast Mm -hmm. um, some like last year and she was like, you know, I turned off my computer and my phone and I just read like two books this weekend. And she was saying one was The Perfect Find by Tia Williams. And I'm like, girl, do you know that that's just I think I got two copies sitting on my bookshelf right now. And she's like, I'm telling you, like, you're not going to be able to put it down so I'm like 
really? And I opened it up and she was not lying. And I'm like, I read this story and I'm like, oh, Tia. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Tia. Um, how much of this book um, is, is there a percentage that like is reality? Like you said, did you rewrite anything in your life in this book? Oh, girl. It's my diary. <laughs> I, I know. I was like, Tia, I remember you telling me this story the first time I met you. And I'm like, oh, my God. But yeah. this sounds this sounds much better than when you told me about it. <laughs> well, yeah. So this. OK, so this is what happened. So The Perfect Fine is a novel I wrote last year. And mm-hmm. it's based. It's about this woman, Jenna, who was a big um, fashion editor star like in um, from fashion magazines. And she has a complete nervous breakdown. She gets laid off. Her fiance dumps her. Everything goes wrong. She loses her money. And then she. um uh, stages a comeback at a street style site and she doesn't know anything about digital. She doesn't even have Facebook. She's totally in over her head. Everybody's a millennial. She's 40, whatever. And she's also working for her enemy from the 90s. That's her boss. And then she mm-hmm. ends up falling in love with a coworker who's half her age. Very steamy, sexy, hot love, secret love. And um, Eric sounds everything about him. I don't even know. And I mean, this is probably just what you learn as a writer, but you wrote him sexy as hell. Like, if you were casting him, if this is a movie, who would you cast, Eric? Oh, you know, in my head the whole time was Michael B. Jordan. Ah, yes. <laughs> yes. I yes. just thought like, oh. You know what the key is for like writing a hot man in fiction is you have to fall in love with him first. And so okay. then you write about him through the lens of like your insane lust for him, which is really meta and sort of disturbed to like fall mm-hmm. in love with somebody that came out of your head. But but you have to do that. You have to do it. So yeah, so I wrote this book because I was having, I wrote it for me because I was having a really horrible moment in my life where I literally thought I was over. In 2012, I got laid off um, and had to sell the apartment that I bought in Brooklyn with the advance from my first novel, The Accidental Diva, which is the thing I was the most proud of in the world. I had to move to the worst block in Brooklyn with my baby. Um, And then I've had migraines, really debilitating migraines my whole life. And they got, you know, insane. And I was in and out of the hospital for three years. Like, you know, my family and Adam, Lena's dad and his family Mm -hmm. literally was raising Lena while I was on hospital beds. And I couldn't work even if I wanted to, because I was so sick. So I would take these, like, I was on unemployment, taking these like embarrassing $250 writing gigs, you know, Mm because it was all I could manage. And for someone that had so much early success for, you know, for a type A perfection addict like me, like failing this way in front of the world, in front of my family, in front of my child was just soul crushing. I thought it was done. Like I literally, I thought it was done. It was 90 pounds. My skin was green from all the toxic stuff they were pumping into my veins in the hospital. And so I sat on a hospital bed and I was like, you know what I need to do is do what I've always done and write my way out of this fuckery. And Mm -hmm. I invented this sort of like alter ego. That was me um, who was also going through an insane time and figured out how to come back stronger and more powerful than ever. And my hope was that the words would help manifest it into Mm -hmm. my life. And Mm -hmm. it did, you know, literally, this is crazy, but a week after I turned in my book, I got 
the copy director job at Bumble and Bumble. And that's crazy. I moved back to my neighborhood that I lived in before <laughs> and <laughs> not owning though, renting, but still. And, you know, I kind of turned everything around. And then, you know, this past year, it's, the book was really successful. So, um, yeah, it, it kind of was my, it's what say I wrote it to save myself and wow. people ended up enjoying it. It's real. It's really an amazing book. You answered. I had a couple questions. Like, did you ever feel like you made the wrong decision when magazines started to fold? Like, you know, I I have some friends who are writers, and that it's like, did you ever feel like, geez, I wish I would have done something else or gone into something else? Well, I was one of those diehard print people mm-hmm. that refused to even see the signs. I was wow. like, no, 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 this can't really happen. It's like the like I, I, industry, the Titanic. They're just yeah. staying on it. Like people are, people are burning music and sharing files. Like you still trying to sell CDs. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and I always compare it to like Hollywood at the end of the twenties when it went from silent films to, to what they call talkies, which was movies <laughs> that had sound and right. the silent movie stars were still like trying to make their little movies and no one cared. Right. And you know, a lot of them ended up like throwing themselves in the Pacific because they just couldn't deal with like, you know, the changing tide of the industry. And so it was really, really hard. I still believe so much in print, but what I I know intellectually that it matters very little now, Mm -hmm. but, you know, my heart still loves it so much. So it was really hard for me um, to accept the digital thing. And in fact, when I went to Essence.com as, um, their beauty director is my first digital job. It was 2009. And I did not know what the hell was going on. I was still trying to write like a thousand word pieces. And I was like, well, where's the budget for this photo shoot? We don't have a budget. (laughs) Right. I was so confused. Right. What are we doing here? What is even happening? Like this just, why, why is this doing an hour? Like I, I have three months before I turn something. I don't get it. So it was definitely a learning curve, but what digital has done like for the beauty industry for women of color is just, I mean, it's like fucking revolutionary. Like when mm-hmm. I came into the industry, there was a finite number of magazines with a mm-hmm. finite number of beauty positions. And if, and they were highly coveted, it was hard to get in if you were white, you didn't get in if you were black. Right. Um, and what blogging and then vlogging and then social media and all of the, and you know, digital zines and, you know, all these online outlets, like what that has done is given an opportunity for black women and all women of color to have a voice and carve out a space. And now there's like, you know, there's a for real black beauty mafia out here, <laughs> big time, um, which I never, ever thought would happen in 1997. Oh, I, I'm certain. Um, So now after having gone through all of that to what do you feel like you need to do to stay relevant now? Like what are things that you do or does it even matter? Like, you know, what's funny. And I feel very like old man, you know, I feel like my grandfather saying this, but I don't have anything to prove anymore. I am hmm. 41 years old. I have been doing this beauty thing for two decades. I've done everything you can do in mm-hmm. beauty editor, blogger, digital editor, all of it. Um, and I feel like it's sort of this great feeling of coasting yeah. at this point. And all 
my main goal is just tickling myself, <laughs> um, which is so liberating. I, I could literally burst into like Sunday morning tears with you right now over that because my whole career was spent being so like profoundly ambitious. Mm hmm. Everything that I did wasn't enough. It was never enough. Like I remember 2004, the year my first novel came out, The Accidental Diva. And I had this book party and Boy George was the DJ and and Iman hosted and there was all, the, it was like really fancy and I didn't feel any of it. I was throwing up in the bathroom the whole time. No. Because I was worried about a typo on page like 114 and no. I didn't think I was good enough for any of this. And I was already thinking about the next book I had to write to fulfill my two book deal. And my shoes were wrong and I was wrong and I wasn't pretty enough for anyone to take pictures of me that night. Like it was just, it was so dumb. And that's how I was my entire 20s and most of my 30s. It was never enough. And I don't know, like you get to this post 40 moment and you're like, you know what? It's fine. If you don't like it, I don't know you. And if you love it, that's great too. But the most important thing is that you make yourself happy. Right. So I'm working on my next novel oh. now. And, and you know, every time those sort of ideas creep, those thoughts creep in, like, what if people hate it? What if you can't do it again? What if it's not funny? What if you forgot how to write a sex scene? What I just drown it all out. And I'm like, you know what? Just make yourself happy here. Yeah. Right. And maybe you'll make someone else happy. Right. Do it for you. And hopefully they like it. I always say that when we are authentically ourselves, we give others permission to do the same. Right? Exactly. Like, wow, she did that. Um, I love that. So that's awesome. Uh, and I wrote some notes because um, I think I have the title of this podcast in that, which is amazing. Uh, oh. Yes, yes, yes. Um, one thing that I've seen you talk about and you brought it up and I had this question was about your migraines. And Ugh. I had never, I mean, I've heard people use the word. And I think one day you tagged like some sort of like migraine Instagram site or or, or hashtag or something. And I started mm -hmm. going and reading about how people are like really suffering. And like, I think it was something like things that people who get migraines don't want to hear, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and I know that you still, I wondered like how this in overall has impacted your life and what should people who are like on the outside and naive really know about people who suffer from like these intense migraines? Yeah. Well, you know, a migraine isn't just a headache. Like it is. Okay. Right. And I think that that's what I can be guilty and say. Yeah. Like, and if you don't know, there's no reason you would know, but it is, it's completely, um, it's just debilitating. It's the pain is unfathomable. And I have a migraine every day and it can go from manageable to um, fetal every position, day? hospital bed. Yeah. Every single day. Um, and the pro, you know, what's so, it's like having a demon sit on your head and like rapidly like you know, stab your temples with Ginsu knives. Like it is just, <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the thing that people don't understand because you look normal mm -hmm. is that you're like standing in front of them, like bleeding out your eyes invisibly, you know, you feel like you're mm -hmm. dying in a crowd. And, um, what I have to go through to have a normal day, like everyone else is kind of mind boggling. Like I on purpose wake up earlier than I need to because I know I'm going to wake up in terrible pain. And A, like 
waking up hurting ruins you Mm -hmm. because that's the first thing that you experience in the day is pain, is agony. Right. I have to wake up early to take the pills and lay with the ice pack and do all that so that I have, um, I can get things under control so I can wake up my daughter and get her to school Mm -hmm. and then go to work and work. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, normal things are are very, very hard if you're in chronic pain. You know, when every breath hurts, it's hard to walk to the train. When your brain is exploding, it's hard to focus to write. It's hard to focus to maintain relationships. You are not reliable. You know, I can make plans with people, but in the 11th hour, I might have to bow out because I can't get out of bed. I can't get off my kitchen floor. Um, Being a mother with migraines is, is, you know, particularly devastating because you can't help but hide this from your baby and your baby grows up worrying about you in a way that a child shouldn't have to worry about their adult caretaker. You know, if she sees me rubbing my temples, oh my God, okay, do you have your pill? Do you know, do I need to get you an ice pack? You know, she's eight. She's on, she's, oh, wow. You know, and it's devastating. So, and it's very hard to date because, you know, I'm on a date with you and my eyes are crossing. Well, I don't know what the fuck you just said. I need to go home. Like it's, it's just, everything hurts, you know? Right, right. Um, so not to be complainy about it, but that's the, the truth of it, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And you can come off looking kind of messy and airheady, which I, I definitely do. Right. Um, seem like a ditz and a spaz a lot of the times, but it's because either I'm, you know, in agony or I've taken so many pills, I'm standing in front of you completely high. Right. Just right. So what did you say? What? And like your nose is melting off your face. Like I don't even see you right now. So um yeah, it's a struggle. But you know what? And this is really like masochistic and weird, or maybe it's just like my my coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. I as much as I hate it and it's been pain is my universe and it's been unfortunately like the defining experience of my life to have to live with this. It also gives me something to rail against. It gives me something to fight against. Like fuck oh, wow. this shit. I'm going to be amazing anyway. Right. Right. Like despite this, I'm going to kill. And it gives me like this fire under my ass because you really have two choices. Like you know, ignore it and defeat it and and become your best self anyway or just mm-hmm. die. Right. So and- you're not, yeah. and and yeah, the other's not an option. So, are there any things that you have done that you find that work for you? Um, you know, that like you have a better day if, or is that not a thing? No, it's not a thing. Dang. Unfortunately, it's not a thing. And it's like yeah. all wrapped up in the barometric pressure. Like, if it's a crazy rainy day, or if it goes from warm to cold or hot to, you know, whatever. Oh. And New York is a mess you know, mm-hmm. weather-wise. And all my doctors like, you need to move to Santa Fe. And I'm like, yeah, move to Santa Fe. And do what, though? I love Santa Fe. Come I on. live. I love it. But like, what would I do? Like, I feel like I would just sort of, you know, lay around on somebody's patio and read Stephen King novels. Like, I'm yeah, not sure. Life. I mean. The thing about like- New York is that it makes you get up and do shit. Like, you have right. to. Like, everybody's so... um you know, right. on the go moving. and trying to moving. So yeah, I loved, I went to Santa Fe for the first time. I don't know why it was like, I want to go to Santa Fe. So I went last year and the food's delicious. I just, I love the architecture. Oh, I just love too. it. 
Yeah. Well, if you ever move there, I may be there part time. So love we it. Could start. We could start something. We could start have something a commune. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you are a. So you said you were dating. So single mother. Um, I'm guessing. I don't even know if I like saying that, but people write me often and say, you know, you have all these different women on you interview men and women, but you've never had like a mom who's has a career and who's doing it. So, so how do you balance it all? Girl, I don't know. I don't know. I balance it because I have to, like, I don't, I am the most unhealthy. Like I just get through the day and it's terrible. And I feel so irresponsible saying this, but it's like, you know, sometimes we don't eat that good. And, you know, sometimes I don't sleep. I don't really, I forgot to drink water last week. You know, I just drank root beer. Things are not great when it comes to like work-life balance for me. It's sort of like put your head down and knock it all out. And I wish I was different. And I wish I had the time to figure out how to live that super healthy, mindful existence. Mm-hmm. But honestly, at the end of the day, if Lena is fed and smiling and I am still on my feet somehow and my bangs look good and I met my deadlines, right. I, you know, I'm kind of okay. Right. And she seems to be doing well. She's got so much personality. I love seeing her on, on social media. Yeah. She is a whole lot of woman. At eight, years old. At, at eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> at eight years old. At eight years old. Okay. So what kind of goals do you set after accomplishing so much, Tia? Like, how do you, you know, what do you say you want to do? Well, I want one of my books to be made into a movie. Ooh. That's a good one. I badly. I want this seems silly, but I I need to own real estate again. It's very hard in New York to mm-hmm. get that those coins together. Yeah. Um. But I I really want that. Um. I want to finish another novel, and it's odd, you know. This would be my fifth novel, my sixth book, and it would seem that because I've done it several times before, it's like, oh, girl, we'll just do it. Like, this is what you do, so just do it. But every single time it feels like this will be the moment that everyone will figure out that I'm a fraud. Uh, or this will be the moment that your talent escapes you. Or like your muse, you know, hops in someone else's head and then you're left empty. Every single time is really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big goal, finishing my novel this year. And every time you write, you want to beat yourself a little bit and make it better than the last one, the last time. So um, it's a personal sort of pressure you put on yourself that really doesn't come from anybody but you. Um, And I want more than anything for Lena to grow up completely self-possessed and loving who she is and being intellectually curious and um, secure in her sort of um, decisions and choices. Mm -hmm. I I want her to be a little boss. And so (laughs) everything I do, I do with um, the self-awareness that there's a kid in here watching. Mm. 
you know, you just have to make sure that you are modeling what you want your baby to be. Yeah. So it's got to be tough when they're watching, you know, it's like the silly decisions that we made when no one was looking, you know, and they mm -hmm. see everything. They notice all of it. Like even just being so careful of your language, like, um, Mm. My my favorite thing is to be like, I have no hair density. And I like say it out loud. Like, why is my hair so thin? Like, I don't understand. And then Lena, I hear her playing in her room, who has the most robust hair, the most like yes. fl- her edges flourish. <laughs> like I can't. And I heard her playing with her dolls and she was like, my hair is too thin. What am I going to do about my thin hair? Like I need to get, I need, a, is there a deep conditioner for this? And I was like, oh my God, what am I implanting into this baby's head? Yes. It's crazy how that works. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes to see that manifest itself in adults, like, you know, I think a lot of us walking around are kind of like that, you know, and just not knowing the impact of something so simple. Uh, like you said, her hair is fully like she's got way more hair than is I mean, by and is even necessary. Like it's yeah. just. And you don't realize how self, like we self-deprecate all day long. Like when someone gives you a compliment, what do you say? Oh, girl, oh, no, but no. thank you, I guess, but no. <laughs> right, right, you right. You know, like we can't even, everyone I know does that. And it's, yeah. even it, whether or not you have a baby in the house or not, it's just you don't want your soul to hear yourself, you know, making these disparage, disparaging comments about your appearance or any anything else about you. Like you yeah. internalize that stuff. I agree. That's why I'm always like, you know, be kind to yourself. I found that like in my whole, I've never had like much of a like weight issue, but I Mm -hmm. found that the times that I was overweight, it was when I was like obsessing and like not saying nice things about myself. Yeah. I started to like, you know, when people would say, oh, you look good, like you've lost weight or you've gained weight. Like I've always been very mindful to like say something to the person when they say that, because it's like, I'm not trying to lose weight. I'm not trying, you know, and when people are like, you've picked up weight, it's like, that's the rudest shit ever. You know what oh. I mean? Like, it's like, you just like, don't even don't say anything. And so I always kind of like set that boundary with people that like making comments about like my weight is not talk about this outfit, talk about this, Please. this bob, <laughs> talk about this yes. curly wig. But do not talk about my body because it took a lot of work for me to get to a place where like if I'm not working out and I've got a little bulge, it's like whatever. It's, and I just say to myself, my leak, you know that you were drinking wine and not working out. That's what happens. You don't want right. it. Then you do something about it. But don't mm-hmm. It's like you really got to put that wall up with people with the comments like, yeah, no. And, and you can, and you can always see people's face because they're not used to being given that boundary, but it's like, oh no, I don't like discuss my body. Like, I, you know, I don't discuss my body or allow comments and people just, yeah, like, we're no, not doing this. Mm-hmm. Not today. It's like moving on. All right. So because I have a lot of millennials that listen to my podcast, um, if someone wanted a job in the beauty industry today, what are, let's just say three things you think they can do to make themselves stand out? Um, like as a writer, as a writer, editor or blogger. Okay. Um, I think, okay. So I, I love that there's so many opportunities and so many outlets to, you know, uh, be a beauty writer these days. Mm -hmm. But the flip side of that is that there's so many outlets. (laughs) Like it's a little, um, the market is a little saturated. Mm -hmm. So I think, if you're 
fresh out the gate today, you know, and and you want to make some sort of beauty presence, you've got to figure out what you have that's different than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't know that the world needs another beauty blog, like reviewing products. I, I I don't, I I think that the innovation right now is super, super important. Like, you know, Curlbox is like, that was at the forefront of this thing. And it was an amazing idea. Like in, and that's why it took off. Um, I, you have to not copy, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it has got to be fresh and new and innovative or else it's not going to, um, it's just not going to resonate because right. there's so much, mm-hmm. um, figure out what makes you, what's you figure out what your signature is. Um, even the way you sort of have evolved into this sort of like business profit, you know, <laughs> like, which honestly, I feel like you need to print on business cards, like my league <laughs> business profit. Um, it's, that was unexpected, you know, that wasn't what you started off being, but that, you know, really spoke to people and it was authentic for you. Mm-hmm. Um, figure out what's authentic to you. Like for me, you know, coming in and albeit obviously, which I've said before, it was a much different, a much different time. And, um, because there weren't any voices, but I figured out that I was funny. Mm -hmm. I was a funny writer, not a, not funny in person, unfortunately, but my writing is funny and, you know, beauty writing was deadly serious at the time. Like, you know, this, you know, it was like this mascara will um, lengthen your lashes and possibly curl them, and you should probably get it because Maybelline is awesome. Right? You know, like, and it wasn't like this mascara will make you want to get naked and roll around in it. Like, it wasn't. You know what I mean? Like this right. super dramatic, um, evocative, creative writing approach. To beauty, like infused with pop culture and um, real and anecdotal. And I'm going to talk about this blush, but I'm going to write about how I wore this blush on this um, horrible date with this guy who performed spoken word for me at dinner at a Japanese restaurant with only four tables. You know, it's just like a different way to sort of approach the beauty conversation. Um. So yeah, I think you should. I think you gotta be, the thing you to gotta do be is be original. Be, be original. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is: What are some mistakes that you see millennials making in the workplace? Because I think they could use this. What are some oh. things that you see going like, oh, sweetie, oh, like, oh, nobody does the work, and I know that's like the thing that old people say, you know, like. But it's it's a cliche because it is so true. I see it at work. I see it from the emails I get. How do I get to where you are? So instead of asking me like, you know, what my process was or where I, what you're asking me now, like mm-hmm. what, what advice I would give or what, um, you know, what insights I have into the industry, they just want to fast forward 20 years and get to where I am now. Right. Which is like, it's an insult, first of all. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not what seeking mentorship is. It's helping someone to 
develop your skills and um, give you some leadership. It's not asking for shortcuts. Mm. And I, I feel like a lot of millennials just want the shortcut. Um, yeah. I was speaking with a 24-year-old the other day who works for a brand and she was like, I feel like I've gone above and beyond in my job as an assistant. And I just really feel like I need a bonus and a raise like at this point. And I just really want to know like how to talk to my boss about like getting the money I deserve. I was like, you don't deserve any money. Like, what are you talking about that? What you have described is the expectation. Mm. You're supposed to go, you're supposed to show up for your job and exceed, you know, the job description. Like that's what you're supposed to do. Right. That's what's expected. What else? What else? Right. What else? You know, there are people who are assistants for six years, seven years. Like there Mm -hmm. were editorial assistants at magazines that woke up at 27 and they were like, oh, I should be a a senior editor by now. You know, it's like you work and you work and you work and you work and you absorb. And I think that what we did was really um, uh, suck in every experience that we could instead of worrying so much about skipping steps to get the title or skipping steps to get the raise. I didn't make money till I was in my thirties. Wow. Same. (laughs) I didn't make anything. I don't even know what it could be considered before then, you know, but it's like, this is kind of what it is. So I'm glad that you shared that because um, I feel like it's so difficult to say, because I think no matter what I say, people still think that there is a shortcut or they still think like, you know, they think that, you did your job and then you should get more because you did it and you come every day. So I have to know because you are uh, the beauty queen. What I want to know, high, low, if I was going to splurge on one skincare item, what is the thing or brand that you're like, go ahead and spend the money. It's worth it. Oh, am I going to sound so bougie? No. Um, Honestly, because then I'm going to ask for a low end. Like, what's that? Okay. Yeah, we're going to do high and low. And most of my makeup is low end because what you do realize when you've been in beauty for a minute is that it's all made in the same factory. So, (laughs) Um, but there are things. I mean, skin, um, skincare, and face makeup, like foundations and concealers, and. uh, powder. I feel like you spend the money on that. This is this is crazy. But like La Mer concealer. I knew you were gonna say that. And La Mer foundations, they are just you will never look dewier. You will never, never look younger and glowy and completely radiant and well rested. And there's a reason that those products are four million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, because you look like four million dollars when you wear them. Um, it's really, really expensive, but it does the, their stuff really lasts a long time. Um, and another trick I have is buying, um, expensive eye creams, but using them as moisturizer all over. Really? Mm -hmm. Not all over your body, all over your face. Oh, all over your face. Wow. Yeah. Not just under eye. Cause what it is, is just, you know, a basic moisturizer, really concentrated and intense right right and you can you can maybe mix it I know the lady who does my facials was saying like you can do that and then cut it with something just really yeah light if you want yeah like just use it and then mix it with something so it lasts longer but she's like it's doing the same thing 
Yeah, it's doing the same thing. It's just more intense. So that's something I've always done. Okay. And then like low-end beauty must have, you know, under $5. Oh, Maybelline Great. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's under $5. But it, but obviously I mean, Maybelline Great Lash Mascara. Like you really, really don't need to spend money on a mascara. It's the best one. It's what's, it's what's backstage at all the fashion shows. It's what all the editorial makeup artists have like on these fancy shoots. Honestly, pink and green, like that's it. It's the best. And okay. Not even the bells and whistles Maybelline mascara because they have a whole line, you know, like volumizing, plumping, whatever. Just the basic like 1987 Great Lash will give you Diana Ross lashes. Really? Um, yeah. Also, I love the NYX makeup. Oh, yeah. Which is same. really cheap. Yeah. Um, they I have these great like called NYX. Oh, is it, it? Is it NYX? <laughs> it is. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Oh, it's NYX. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, hi, yeah be- beauty queen. No, I still um, call it NYX, but I think I worked with them and they were like, you know, thank you for calling Nix and you're like, oh. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but they have these like matte velvety lipsticks and I know like for black women like most of us have two-tone lips. Mine is really really prominent. Like okay. my lips are two completely different colors. And my big problem is when I get a lipstick, it's never true. Like the pigment that's in the actual bullet is never right. what shows up on my lips. And those lipsticks really, really do. The pigment is really intense. Um, also, I love um, a Neutrogena skin cleansing wipe in a pinch. Really? Okay. Yes. Those Sometimes are... I'm too tired to take my makeup off before I get in bed and I keep them on my on my um nightstand and I'll just quickly do a wipe and toss it in the trash across the, across the room and go to sleep. Wow, yeah. On the high end with those, I'm obsessed with the Laura is it Lauren Napier wipes? <gasps> like yes. the, and I talked to her on the phone the other day. Like I just want to stand for you girl and she's a young <sighs> black woman. I've never had a better wipe in my life. Oh. Those are so good. Yeah. So they're too good. Okay. So we are going to get to two listener questions. Um, and they're sometimes the questions are broad, but I'm going to put these on you, Tia. Um, okay. She says, hi, my league. I'm writing you to get some advice and a few things off my chest for lack of words. I am a 29 year old young woman and I feel like I'm stuck in a cycle. I have a great paying job. She put that in caps, not a career, but I am not happy. I did Mm -hmm. what everyone said, go to college, graduate, get employed, you know, the quote unquote good life. Yet I don't feel feel fulfilled. I work every day, all day. I take care of my mom who lost her job four years ago due to the government crackdown. Then she got sick and has not returned to work since. I want more out of life yet. When I sit and try to think of what that more is, I have no clue. It's like I'm full of ambition, but easily discouraged by the negative responses of those who I, who I'm surrounded by family, friends, and significant other. It's like, they don't realize how important that is. My leak. Mm. I want more out of life. I don't want to remain stagnant. I don't want to live check to check. I don't want to be unhappy. I guess my question is, how do you find your purpose? Where do you find your passion? I feel like I'm moving at such a slow rate for someone who wants the best out of life and will be 30 soon. Any advice? Hmm. I think the first thing not to do is share your dreams with other people. Mm. Um, I never do that because okay. I, I don't want to take in your response. And a lot of times people want to tell you that your dreams are not achievable. They do because they're too afraid. 
Exactly. And it's not them being mean or unsupportive, even though it ends Mm -hmm. up being unsupportive. It's really just a lot of friends and family just want to um, keep you grounded. And if it's something that they were unable to do in their lives or if if it's something that scares them, they're going to try to discourage you from doing it. Like if you have a job, even if it's a quote unquote job and not a career, girl, at least you have a job. What are you doing? Like stay there, collect your salary. Like why would you, you know, leave that and risk failing? A lot Mm -hmm. of people are scared to fail. I mean, everybody's scared to fail. Right. Um, But yeah, I think you keep it to yourself and quietly plan to run after that goal. And if you're not sure what that goal is, you just know that there's something out there you need to be doing that you're not doing. I'm a big Mm -hmm. list maker. I did it when I was 18 years old, my freshman year at UVA. I was like, this is what I want before I'm 28. I don't know why I picked the the age 28, Mm -hmm. but I did. And I I wrote it all down. Apartment in Brooklyn that I own, you know, career Mm -hmm. as a novelist, beauty editor, working at magazines. I want to be married. I mean, I was 18. Um, (laughs) You know, and I wrote it all down and it was completely my intention to check everything off the list and writing it all down tells it gives it sends the message to your brain it makes it real mm-hmm. not typing it writing it down like with your hands you know yep, i agree um and honestly like i'm not a, a the secret person i'm not even particularly um spiritual though i really wish i were i feel like my life would make a lot more sense but just on a practical level, you can't deny the power of writing something down. It's like mm-hmm. creating a magic spell. Right. Um, so if you're not sure what your thing is, write down everything that you love, everything right. that you think is cool, even if it's the weirdest thing ever. Write mm-hmm. down what your hobbies are. Write down what turns you on. And then do some research into how to make those, how to monetize those things. Yeah. Or, and if you can't find any any um, concrete evidence that you can monetize those things, seek out mentors who can maybe figure out, help you figure out how to do it. And I think that's the first step. Keep it to yourself and make a list and start doing your research. Yes. I was going to say that if you, she says, I want more out of life, but she never said what that meant, you know, but it's like, yeah. I know what I, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want that. And so I think, like you said, the first step is to make a list of what does that more mean to you? And you don't yeah. have to share it with the people around you, but you, you have to figure that out. And so for a long time, I would go, it's so crazy that I, I have it, you know, like I use the time hopper, you know, Facebook memories and that, like, I remember mm-hmm. going and looking at this house, um, this $600,000 house a couple years ago. And I remember just being like, like, dang, like I would go do stuff like that. Like not even knowing like how the hell I would even afford like that much. Right. Right. And it just, it seemed so out of like touch, but I kept doing it. I kept, I'm constant. I was constantly going and looking at homes and I eventually bought my house almost two years ago and my house cost more than that. And I remember thinking like just a few years ago, I didn't even think I could afford 600 grand for a house. And now I have a house that's as worth more than that and costs more than that. Like, 
It's just this thing of constantly putting yourself in the place that you want to be. It's like mm-hmm. you've got to just keep doing it. And it's like if you want to have a lifestyle that affords you to stay at nicer hotels, walk in the front door of every nice hotel until Girl. you're checking in. You know, it's just like sit. It's at- so true. And you have to do it because, like you said, it's like creating a magic spell. It convinces convinces your mind that like I belong here I deserve mm-hmm. this and I'm gonna sit here until y'all open the door exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna sit here until y'all let, I'm gonna keep coming until you let me in and I just think it changes the way you work you know it's like you're not working to similar to the young woman who's like I think I deserve a raise it's like I'm working for an elevated lifestyle and once yeah. you that you're not looking for a little check you're looking for like limitless living yeah so that's kind of yeah my thought and I don't know that you find your passion I think that you sort of when you something when you feel that thing that that gets you up or it like gets you excited you don't find that but you honor that and you do that so it's there I also think that some of the things that excite people they think can't be a job Yep, they do. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's why I think the piece about um, seeking out people to help you, like people older than you, people who are doing something similar or just, you know, just someone that you trust that's in a place that you vaguely think that that this obsession might live within um, Mm -hmm. is, is really important because... Well, you know, when I was little and I loved the, you know, magazine so much and I was always drawn, you know, the first thing I was drawn to were the makeup pages. I didn't realize that somebody was writing that stuff. I just thought it just sort of dropped out of the sky, you know? Right. Right. Um, Sometimes you need to be introduced to the, I have a friend who spent her whole childhood merchandising her bathroom. Like she wanted everything to be beautiful in there. She mm-hmm. wanted the products to, to like, she would worry about the skyline of the products. Like she would want everything to be even and, you know, all the labels to be facing outwards. What she didn't understand was that she was supposed to be decorating windows at Saks. You know, she didn't understand that she was supposed to be doing the merchandising at Sephora. She didn't know that that was a job being a merchandiser. Right. Um, And it took investigating to realize that that was actually a thing and she could make her passion and a thing that came um, naturally to her into her life's work. Yep. Do what comes naturally to you. Yeah. Um, In the meantime, though, make, you know, make your money. Like I, I, what I don't, uh, what, what makes, does make me nervous is quitting a job with no backup. Even though I know that that's what a lot of people do. Um, I feel like in this day and age with the economy so weird and, you know, I don't think there's any shame in, in keeping your quote unquote J-O-B as long as it's not like emotionally debilitating to you um, while you're doing this investigating, while you're doing this soul searching, um, unless you have a, a robust savings and you can, you know, quit and travel the world or, or you know, f- seek your bliss in that way. I, I I do think that ha- being able to pay your bills is kind of important. Yeah, I agree. That's the practical side of me. <laughs> yes, 
And then I have one another question, which I just am saying, she goes, you don't have to read this on the podcast, but I'm going to read it, but make some edits. But the long and short of it is that she said she had an artist manager reach out to her and ask for her contact info. And in exchange, he sent his contact info. Um, Would you contact him first by phone or should I wait on him? She was saying that she's super shy and gets really nervous. In the Instagram DM, he said, I want to see what you do, even though it's in my bio. I know he has been linked to working with, she says, some like a famous artist in the past. Am I wrong for texting first? I have some other thoughts about this, but what are your thoughts about this? Wait, so she's like a singer or... I don't know. I, I get the feeling that I, she never really said what she did. So she said she changed her Instagram handle from her blog name to her personal name. And she's been getting a lot more interaction. And I guess an, a manager reached out to her on Instagram and he sent his info and she's like, would you contact him first? Or, you know, and he's asking what she, he wants to see what she can do, even though it's in her bio, which I'm guessing that like, maybe it's some sort of service like that she provides, mm. you know, if it's in oh. her bio, like her Instagram bio. So she says, is she wrong for texting first? I'm curious for your thoughts on this, like what you think about stuff like this. Um, well, but I have my own thoughts. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like if she did her research and he's, um, he really ha- ha- has worked with real clients and has a real profile and a real job, you know, like a real career, a real business. This is um, not. This is not that. No, I'm just saying like, I'm, I'm just talking over you because I'm like people who really do that in the industry. That's not how they reach out to people on, on social media. I would think. I mean, that that's where I was going with that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, if you're very um, established, what did he DM her? He DM'd her. Yes. No. Yeah. No, that's not, no. Like no model agent would do that. No real literary agent would do that. Right. Um, n- no agent or man, I know more about agents than managers, but mm-hmm. I don't think that they DM. I don't think so either. And I think it's a, it's a rapper. So I think that sometimes people think that's the approach. And I think the long and short, yeah. So she's like, I'm I'm super shy and I'm really nervous. Would I, am I wrong for texting first? I don't think it's a right or wrong thing. I think this is a situation where you, I'm glad you asked me, but it's like, this is not a professional way to reach out to someone. And it's not that people don't do business over DM, but I would just think that someone would say, um, Hey, you know, I looked on your personal website and couldn't find your email address. Can I email you? You know what I mean? Exactly. And then from there, you know, everybody should have sort of like some sort of website or page for at which they can be contacted for doing business at this point. And if you're only sort of, sort of like business is on Instagram, then I'm sorry. I just don't think it's a business. And I do think that somebody reaching out to you and saying, let me see what you can do almost insinuates that like you, like you want me to tap dance before you hire me, which is like, you better get into these links. You better Google up this that name. That I provided. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and I think it, it sets the stage of like, you're, you're setting yourself up for, and then you're like, he reached out to you. 
you exchange the contact info and now you're like, should I wait on him? It's like, that's what he wants to do. That's the total mind fuck, right? Yeah, it's like, let me make you think I've worked with so-and-so. I've worked, I've supposedly worked with one big artist. I'm going to hit you up and sort of like make you feel weird and strange and insecure and be like, so what do you do? Um, make you wait and dangle so that you're desperate, you know, like you're already starting off feeling desperate and that's how you get played so i just wouldn't even i would just not even engage my i I would just say no no yeah it's (laughs) i i mean i've never yeah it's like people email me because they Mm -hmm. find it on they do if they really are interested they'll go to my website or you know uh being hit up on dms is just it's a little it's tacky yes it, I agree. And I wouldn't, I just wouldn't trust it. No. I wouldn't trust it. Especially if she, it seems that she provided a, a, a link to something yes. in her mm-hmm. bio. Right. So just go there. Right. <laughs> right. Know, what are, what are, how to reach her. What are we still talking about? So yeah, that, yes, that was the last of my questions. And that is the end of this interview. Tia, where can we find you everywhere on social? And your books. Give us the rundown. This is the time. This is the time. Okay. So my books are my two um, adult novels, which sounds like porn. It's not. It's just grown up. It mm-hmm. are The Accidental Diva and The Perfect Find. And then I wrote um, two young adult novels um, called The It Chicks and Sixteen Candles. And then I wrote a book with Iman called The Beauty of Color. And on Instagram, I'm Shake Your Beauty, like booty, but no beauty Mm -hmm. and um shake your beauty on twitter too and tia williams um on facebook and um my website is tiawilliams.net and yeah that's me awesome i'm around you're around thank you so much tia